Hello, everybody. Welcome to season three, episode three of that kind of podcast. Yeah, that's what we are. That's what we are. It is a gross, disgusting day, and mm-hmm. I am really ready for spring. I am glad this wasn't yesterday, though, with the the Chiefs parade, Super Bowl parade, all of that. At least it waited a day. Yes, this is true. So at least there's that. Can you imagine going down there? No. no, There's entirely too many people. That's a lot of people. I do not like touching people like, I mean, like that would be my worst nightmare. That is, that is going to be the seventh Being in a crowd. Being in this, being in a Chiefs crowd. Or a Royals crowd. Because everybody was all excited and like, woo! And people, bodies were touching and, you know, I'd be like in somebody's armpit. Having your seventh level of hell is being in a group of really excited people. Now, if they were mellow, we'd be okay. Everybody is in their own corner reading their own book with soft music playing. Actually, that sounds lovely too. I was going to say, that's like my seventh level of heaven. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, I just described I like both of these. Oh, no. No, there would be way too many, way too many opportunities for bodies to touch. I'm sure there were a lot of bodies touching and a lot of porta potties, which that's the part that gets me. I'm, I'd be like, no, no, I'm gonna hold it. I'm gonna no. hold it. I'll hold it all day. I will camel this. Yes, yes. Um, it would be one of those. What is it? Um, there'd be a lot of opportunities for unconsensual hugging. <laughs> unconsensual hugging. Yes. Yeah. I received a text earlier that it was meant for somebody else. And I thought it was to me, and it was somebody saying that they were going to hug him so hard. And I literally, there was a little, like, <laughs> in my mouth. I'm like, oh, this is not okay. And then I realized it wasn't to me, and I was very happy. So, <laughs> okay. So, my therapist appointment is next week. That's good. <laughs> I'm not saying it's needed, but... I have um, hug therapy. Hug. They just sent me in a room. You, do they teach you how to hug? We, we move really slow. We're like, if, they're like, okay, we're going to come in and we're just going to, I'm going to put my hands on your shoulders. And I'm like, no. oh no. See, I think that would be worse. I would rather get that, like, boom, let's get this out and over the way because then the awkwardness of someone's hands yeah. on your shoulders for an yep. extended period of time. And then they awkwardly look in your eyes and then it's, nope, 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 peace out. The podcast is now officially over. <laughs> We have serious issues that mm-hmm. we probably need to That's, work on. That might be the reason we have a murder podcast. <laughs> it makes sense now. And why we aren't touching. Look, it feels like right now there's this much space that it's, honestly it feels like I am right on top of yeah. you. Like I'm breathing your eyeballs. Yes. Yeah, well, we, and we were at the old the old uh, location and it was like we almost had to straddle each other. Yes. And it was very awkward. And um we became much closer <laughs> during season two. We did. Maybe we need that. There you go. But then we like. Mm-hmm. This isn't awkward. No, because I usually had to have my knees around you. I yeah, this one it was. Yeah, you had to have the knees around me. Yeah. So yes, yeah. there we go. But then we're blocking our little wood sign. Yes, kind right. of. Which, there. there. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, we're going to get started. All so right. this case sucks. We so haven't bad. talked about this before, so I don't even know what you're doing. Oh, yeah. The, well, that's what I'm telling you. This sucks. Yes. Okay. This case sucks. Um, I told you that I was doing a Kansas City one. Mm-hmm. So, um, we're going to... We don't t- have great ones. We No. There's there's nothing stellar about Kansas City's crime. Although, it's not really like we're going to do a great one on this podcast. This is true. We have a true crime podcast. I don't we're know. going to come on and be like, hey guys, we've got a great story for you today. The um, Meals was pretty funny. That was, that was good. Okay, yeah. that was good. Yeah, that I was like a good that one. one. Um, I did enjoy doing that one. So I'll have to find, you know, this is a true, there has to be some kind of funny-ass crime out there. 
Like something that somebody doesn't get murdered, something, you know. But then it's not a crime if somebody doesn't get hurt in some way. Or fashion. Yeah. Maybe we need a separate podcast. We need like a good story. World's dumbest criminals. Yes. Okay. <gasps> we should, okay. Maybe that's like the next go round we do, or maybe we end it, or something yeah, on. We'll Let's do something fun. Each do a dumb criminal. I like that plan. Ooh, I have an idea. Okay. Okay. All right. So we're going to talk about Allie Kemp. Allie Ooh. Kemp was unfortunately murdered in 2002. Um, a huge story in Kansas City. Uh, I was, let's see, I had just got married. I remember it very vividly and all of the, um, all of just kind of the insanity that surrounded mm-hmm. it. Um, so she was in her, she was a freshman in college. She came back for the summer and she was working at the pool. She was a freshman at K-State University. Um, she was in Pi Beta Phi, um, super active in soccer, volleyball, basketball. Um, and she also did a bunch of philanthropy. So was really big into, um, giving back to the community. She lit up her room. You see where this is going. Yes, she did. And honestly... She really did light up a room. I mean, she was, she was just, it, she, I, you know, if you see the pictures, it's just yeah. heart-wrenching. Um, so she took a job at the neighborhood pool and she was working the job with her boyfriend. They were high school sweethearts. Um, and her brother, brother is Tyler. Her boyfriend was Phil. So on the day that this happened, June 22nd. Her um, boyfriend's name is Phil? Her boyfriend, his name was Phil. I don't remember that part. That just sounds like a very... Adult name? Very adult. Yes. Yes. Okay. Anyway. Um, not relevant. So on June 22nd, she was actually going to um, arrive at the pool at 2 and take over for Phil. Um, and then Phil was working <laughs> the first shift. And then her brother Tyler was coming at 5. Did Phil have to go to his assistant manager job at the... <laughs> With a tie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he did. He must He must have. So um, so Allie got there. They, the two of them made plans when she got to relieve them. Um and relieve him, and they made plans to get together that night, and you know, gave each other a hug. Phil took off, so she was there doing her stuff. Tyler was supposed to come in at five and relieve her. So, um, when he got there at five, he started getting worried because all of her stuff was there, mm-hmm. and they couldn't find her anywhere. So he kind of looks for a couple minutes, and then he calls his dad, his dad Roger. Roger comes over, and he gets there, and he meets Tyler at the front gate, and they start looking around um, at everything. And he opens the door to the pool pump room and he said it looked like a gr- grenade had exploded. There was just stuff everywhere. And then as soon as he opened the door, he saw legs sticking out from under a tarp. And so he ran up to her. Um, he remembers just literally grabbing her out of the tarp and holding her against him, just screaming, come back to me, come back to me, fight through this. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, she arrived at St. Joe Medical Center and she was pronounced dead on the scene. So the police came, they did, they scoured the whole area very little evidence was found. The only thing that was found was the top of an ointment bottle. It was very weird. They decided it wasn't, it didn't belong to Allie. Um, her body was bruised and battered, but hadn't been sexually assaulted. Um, he called 911, immediately said, I think my daughter's been murdered. Like I said, the detectives came, they shut everything down. Um, and they said, and this is one of the heartbreaking things, they said she fought very hard for her life. Mm. With the way the pool house was, everything was strewn about. Um, it had been very apparent that she gave this guy, this son of a bitch, a run for his money. Um, so the first clue, so they started, you know, canvassing the neighborhood. The first clue came from a lawn company that said, yeah, there was an older beige truck that had been circling the neighborhood, was doing stuff. Uh, but it was just a little off. We hadn't seen him here before. 
So like, okay, well that's that's good to know. And the next came, clue came from um, one of Allie's friends who showed up at the pool and she pulled in and just being a typical teenage girl, laid on the horn. And she was expecting Allie to come out of and be like, dude, what are you doing? And she said, she laid on the horn and all of a sudden a guy peeked his head out of the pool um, pump room. And, um, I don't remember hearing about that. Yeah. So he immediately put his head down and she put her head down and she's like, oh God, it's her, it's her boss. I don't want to get Allie in trouble. So she laid off the horn and the guy quickly got out, you know, like he was like nonchalant about it. And he's like, hey, how you doing? Got in his car and drove away. So she's like, okay, I don't want to get her in any more trouble. So she followed him out and left. So it looked like, so he saw her leave, you know, knowing that, you know, she was not going to be distracting Allie. So then the good thing about that was that they were actually able to do a sketch drawing based on her seeing him. So they got a sketch done. Unfortunately, the sketch looked very similar to so many men. White, 5'8 to 6 foot, brown mm -hmm. hair, heavier set, and tips just literally start flooding in. Um, it, and it was it was strange because as all these, these tips are coming in, nobody's really fit in the bill until James Strader comes up. A middle-aged white man. A middle-aged white man with brown hair that's 5'8 to 6 foot. Um, he drove a beige Ford pickup truck, and much like the one that was reported. And he also bore an incredible resemblance to the sketch that bore an of a, incredible resemblance of a beige to... white man driving a <laughs> beige truck. He denied everything. He was venomous about it. He was like, there's no way I did this, you know, all of that. Mm -hmm. So eventually they pulled up alibis and, and, and his tracking, and, and they realized he was, he was cleared. So weeks passed, the case started going cold. Um, the DNA lab comes back with the ointment lid, and they say that Allie, the ointment lid didn't have DNA on it, evidence mm -hmm. on it. Or they had DNA evidence on it, but they ran that DNA through the DNA lab, um, and it didn't hit a match. Yeah. So they're like, okay, well, we're going to hold on to this. So during all of this, Roger Kemp started, Allie's dad, mm -hmm. started becoming a huge advocate for helping find the killer mm -hmm. and he did things that nobody had ever really done before or at least parents had never done before um he was seen and he's actually he was known for the fact that he was in all of this so calm so poised and so polite and he actually which i can't even imagine being like nope. that after seeing what he saw yeah i would be wanting to burn the city down oh i would yeah and that's what i just i hope that if anything god forbid i mean like he was an amazing man. Yeah. He was absolutely, I remember seeing interviews. I remember just being, I, I mean, it's somebody that literally took some of him and God awful. I mean, the worst thing that could humanly possibly happen to somebody and turned it into something and really gave a testament to her life, to Allie's mm -hmm. life. Yeah, it was, it was rough. Um, so he, he impressed the public. I mean, and he was actually often found more in the morning, like roundup when they're discussing the case with the police drinking coffee, talking about all the tips that came in, which is something that was also unheard of because most parents can't, most people can't, car, car, can, I can't even talk. Compartmentalize. Um, I know that word. Yes, you do. Really? Um, <laughs> enough to, you know, to really be able to look at things objectively. Um, unfortunately, the case went cold again. Mm -hmm. Until a year and a half later, James Strader came back up in the news. Mm -hmm. He had been arrested for attacking three different women. Um, so they brought him back in for questioning. They asked him to do a DNA sample. He took off after, um, he took off and disappeared for three weeks. Um, so then when he finally got caught. Look. Yeah, it is a good, a good look. look. 
he got caught um, not paying for gas in Utah and they grabbed him and um, <laughs> he denied the murder still. And unfortunately, DNA evidence cleared him. It was not him. So Roger never stopped looking and he did things like they did an interview on America's Most Wanted. Um, after things went cold again, he petitioned America's Most Wanted again and asked them to redo the, mm -hmm. the show. Um, so more tips started coming in. Um, and then one day he was hanging up posters and he turned around and he saw a billboard. And he's like, you know what? That's a great idea. So he put all of the information on the billboard, including the police sketch. So again, I remember seeing that. Yes, seeing the billboard. Um, so tips start flooding in again. And one of the tips that came in was a man named Teddy Hoover. Okay, Teddy um, was oddly enough a pool repairman. He drove a beige pickup truck. Um, and he looked identical to the sketch. <laughs> Nondescript white man. So the police showed up at his house. He seemed nervous, but they were like, well, we couldn't really tell. We couldn't get a read. Was he nervous because the police showed up at our front door? What's going on? I can't, you can't blame, even knowing the end of the story, I still can't blame someone for that because I got to be honest, if the police showed up at my house, even though I haven't done anything And you're wrong, a middle-aged white man from 6'8". <laughs> yes. Yeah. But you would have that, like, they talk about, I go through the TSA at the airport, mm -hmm. and now I haven't put any sort of explosive device in my suitcase. Yeah. But as soon as I see a TSA agent, You're I'm convinced. like, what if I accidentally did? Did I accidentally pack one this morning? Oh my gosh. So if, if the police showed up and wanted to question me, I'd be like, did I grab my lipstick I, or my I, explosive device? <laughs> I swear I didn't do whatever you're going to question me about, but it's going to look real sketch. <laughs> yes. So um, they agreed to do, um, he, he was going to come in for DNA evidence and, and do an interview, and he took off. Uh, Again, said, yeah. good luck. He said he wasn't going to do it without a lawyer present. The lawyer then said, here's the deal. He's not real nervous about giving the DNA evidence. He's nervous about his blood being in the DNA database. Oh. So the police agreed that they were going to not put it in the database. Then he took off again. Yeah, then he took off. They couldn't find him. So things start getting cold again. And then in August of 2004, the investigators receive a tip that there's a man that used to go by the name of Teddy Hoover that is living in Connecticut with his girlfriend. And his name was actually Benjamin Appleby. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they go to pull him and he is like, I don't know. I've, I, you interviewed me before. My name really is Teddy. You interviewed me already, and we cleared me. We're good. And the police are like, he's telling the he's gaslighting the police <laughs> themselves. Yes. So they brought him in, and they brought him into an interrogation room that had um, was staged to look like they had much more evidence on him than they did. Ah. So there were pictures of the crime scene. There were pictures of him all over the place, and they had a binder on the table out of his reach that had his name on it. So he immediately confesses, and he. He's her, he was heard saying, I killed her, I strangled her, I guess, I strangled her, I guess, and I don't know why I fucking did it. I guess. I guess. So. I He explained that he went to the pool to do some business, and um, he found Allie attractive, and Not he sure. started hitting on her, and when she, um, when she ended up turning him down, mm -hmm. he got mad. Because she's attractive, and she owes him... Yeah, apparently, apparently. <laughs> um, so he began punching her and choking her and until she was unconscious. Seems like a reasonable response mm -hmm. to rejection. Yeah. Um, his plan was to use the ointment from the first aid kit as a lubricant to rape her, but then was interrupted by Laurel. 
DNA was a match. Yes. And Roger, and I, I want to get this right because, I mean, how classy was this man? Um, he was both relieved and heartbroken that it was taken care of. Mm -hmm. He said, you can't get any lower, any more subhuman than whatever he is. Mm -hmm. You can't believe somebody like him exists. You so. can't get any more subhuman. You are a piece of shit on my shoe, buddy. I, not, I mean, like, just this Benjamin guy. Any more subhuman. subhuman. I want to I keep that. I know. I'm going to use it as a... Yes. I'll use it against somebody at some point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey, Mark! <laughs> it's okay. He doesn't listen anyway. As Roger Kemp once said. Um, at first, Benjamin said he wouldn't cause any issues for the family, and he was going to just go ahead and say he was guilty. Any more than he already Of course. Had. Of course. Um, he wasn't going to subject them to a trial, but he almost immediately changed his tune mm -hmm. and um, pled not guilty. Um, he then proceeded to change that to um, murder. Yeah, yeah, he did murder her. It wasn't premeditated, though. Yeah. Which that part seems legitimate. Yep. He was found guilty of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to 50 years in prison. They did decide that he probably, it was premeditated. They were able to place the fact that he drove the truck around the pool numerous times. Um, as, uh, yeah, as well as... Because technically premeditation is like even the minute before, if yep. you planned it then. And it took 10 minutes for him to kill her. So, um, yep. Okay. So then this piece of shit, this subhuman piece of shit, the family was granted the ability to um, say their piece. Yeah. And he asked to be excused because he didn't want to hear it. And unfortunately, the judge decided to go ahead and release him. So he did not hear the family's statements. Why? Why? I don't know. Why, judge? I that We need answers on that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, incredibly unfortunate. He's still in jail, still incarcerated. Um, I can't remember where he's at. He's... I, I can't even try. Maybe mm -hmm. Topeka, but... Um, he is he is incarcerated, and I hope he stays there for a very long time, and I hope he dies there. Mm -hmm. So we're going to get to what happened. Um, like I said, the Kemp's total testimony to their daughter. Mm -hmm. They created um, the Allie Kemp um, Educational Foundation, and they created a self-defense class called Take Defense. To date, over 70,000 women ages 12 to 90 have gone through that class. I remember that. Yep. Um, he was successfully nominated by two U.S. Senators from Kansas for the Presidential Citizen Medal, um, and he was selected as one of 13 Americans to get it in 2011. Um, he's a past board member of the Ad Hoc Commission Against Crime and a past committee member of three administrations to, to, of the Kansas Attorney General. This is the reason I'm reading it. <laughs> I'm struggling with it. The Kansas Attorney General's Office, who was responsible for reviewing and awarding grants to shelters and homes of victims of abuse. Unfortunately, um, Mr. Kemp passed away March of 2020, uh, 2022, actually March 1st. So about a week, about a year and a week, a year before the year, a week before the year anniversary of his death, <laughs> this podcast will probably be airing. 51 weeks after his death yes. is when this airs. Yes. So, um, and you know, his wife, Kathy, um, man, I should have it down. I'm pretty sure it's Kathy. She also was super, super ac uh, active. Um, I definitely don't want to slight her in any way, shape, or form because she rocked it out as well. But um, Well, and she had to sit there supporting him while he yeah. was going out doing all that. Yep. And that breaks up a lot of marriages. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but what an amazing... I mean, like... The family yeah. themselves, just as a unit. Yep. Is I remember how active they were. Yeah. Yep. 
and and so it just I mean I just always was so impressed with so impressed with their family mm -hmm. so um, so that's the story of Allie Kemp um, you know like I said Kansas City has had their handful a handful of really tough cases um, but I you know every state does um, these are just kind of the ones that always I guess maybe formed my love of true crime mm -hmm. and um, you know Roger Kemp is definitely a um, you know an example of how to turn something some of the some of the worst things you ever could possibly experience into something that's probably saved hundreds if not thousands of lives yeah so um, huge honor so there we go thank you that You're was a good welcome. one that was hard that was a hard one that was a hard that one. one hits close to home it does hit close to home I remember um so I you know I worked at a garden center um growing up well for a good chunk of my early adulthood and there was um you know not as not as bad as some but we had a lot of people that were hired in the spring. So we'd, we'd go from like, you know, a staff of like 30 or 40 to like a staff of like two or 300. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of part-time workers and um, sometimes they were a little more transient. I mean, and mm -hmm. so I remember in this case, especially there's two cases that this case, especially um, there were, I remember getting phone calls about trucks, people's trucks that they yes. were driving yeah. um, and whether or not some of our people had, were driving in what they owned. So um, yeah, it was really interesting. Um, but yeah, it's a, uh, Definitely a case that hits close to home. So, um, but we'll be back next week. Yes. With Dia. I have a good idea for one. Good. And it's kind of twisty because I like this. Is that soft? Have I converted you to unsolved? Never. Okay. It is very solved with a confession. Okay. No gray area at all. Okay. So. Well, there we go. But it'll be a good whodunit. Yep. That's awesome. Okay. All right. See you guys next week. Bye.